The title's Extraordinary Joy, however, it is Finding Joy and Contentment in Everyday Disappointment. Um, and I'll be honest with you, um, I've not got this sorted. Um, sorry, this will probably will disappoint you. Um, I'm in the... <laughs> pun. <laughs> I am in the midst of everyday disappointment, and I think we all are, really. So I'm not going to give you a 10-step plan. This is how you're never going to be disappointed again, and you're going to have joy everlasting. But I will share with you some things that I've learnt what I am doing and what I hope will to, con- to continue to do, because everyone faces disappointment. There's a famous quote by Benjamin Franklin that says, in this world, no- nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, and I'm going to add on the end, and disappointments. <laughs> I think they're your three certainties in life, small or large, there is, we all are affected by disappointment. And why? Why do we get disappointed? I think because disappointed is rooted in hope. You can't be disappointed if you didn't hope for something, first of all. Like, oh, I hope I would be married by now, or I hope I would have kids by now, or I hoped I'd have this job or this leadership position, or, you know, you can add your thing to the end. So what I want to focus on is not necessarily disappointments, but what do we do with that disappointment? Do we allow it to distort our view of God? Do we allow the wave of it to wash over us and for us to suddenly forget all the blessings we've ever experienced from God or forget all the answered prayers that we've known? Because everyone has a vision or a plan for how they see their lives playing out. And when it doesn't happen how we expected, we get really disappointed. So I'm going to tell you my life plan. Age 18. This is how it was going to (laughs) go. So I was going to get amazing grades at school. I was going to go to a wonderful university. I was going to study law. Then I was going to get an amazing job in the city where I was going to make a difference. That was important. Then I was going to meet my future husband at uni because I need to save some time. Then I was going to get married. Then I was going to have kids. I was going to have a wonderful house. I was going to be used for the glory of God. Super skinny, super fit, super fruitful. And I was going to be content. <clears throat> That's not much to ask for, really. So, let's see how that panned out. <laughs> um, I went to university. Hated my first year. Like, wor- not joking, worst, worst year of my life, without a doubt. That's a longer story, which I won't bore you with. Um, so that was the first disappointment, because uni was supposed to be the best years of my life. That's what everybody says. Well, it wasn't, so number one. I got a job, but it was boring, and it was no real career prospects. I wasn't sharing my faith. I wasn't on this massive career path. So that was disappointment number two. I did not meet the man of my dreams at university. And as I said earlier, I'm not married. I'm still single. Um, kind of feel like I'm running out of time for a family. So that was probably one of the th- biggest disappointments that I deal with now. I don't have a house. I have a flat, which is nice. Liz will say it's nice. But people keep asking me when I'm going to buy a house. So I've taken that to mean that I'm not quite as successful as everyone who has a house. <laughs> so that's disappointment number four. It's a lie, but it's still a disappointment. Kids, don't have kids, don't have a husband, therefore, there you go. I could go on. It was not... The plan I had is not what I'm living now. So what do we do with that? I mean, yours would look very different. Yours could be there's illness that you're still facing, that you're still going on, or your finances aren't great. Um, what, the core, what is at the core of our disappointment is the same, though. Um, I hoped life would be different, and I'm disappointed that God hasn't got the same plan for my life that I have. So what does disappointment do? It creates fear and doubt. It causes us to question God's existence and whether he is trustworthy. It affects our confidence. It makes us feel lonely. Often it highlights our limitations 
because we believe the lie of the world that says you can have anything you want if you try hard enough. So if you haven't got what you want, you're obviously not trying hard enough. It just highlights all the things that we, we don't have. It diminishes hope. I think it makes us hesitant to hope. And most importantly, it robs us of joy. Now, God has a plan for each one of us, and it's good and it's perfect. But what it isn't is our plan. And it will almost always work out differently to how we wanted it to. And this doesn't mean that God's plan isn't perfect. His perspective on our lives is very different to our perspective. And what our response should be is to have faith and go, yes, your way is the right way. But that is hard. That's really hard to do that. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's plan is good and perfect, but it's not our plan. (laughs) Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know. You all know this. But what do we do when it doesn't feel like God's plan isn't the best for us? What does it, when my idea of what my life is going to be like and his idea don't match up, what do we do? I mean, there's lots of things I could say, but I wanted to focus on two. And one is we need to accept our own humanity and limitations. We are not God. We are not, and I'm going to give you some big words, omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. And if you have to look them up like I did, we are not all powerful. We're not all knowing. We're not all seeing or all understanding, which is pretty sobering. As much as we like to think we are, we're human. And even in the most intelligent human brain is still limited. So we need to be comfortable that God is vast and awesome and we are small. We're not insignificant, but we are tiny in comparison. And so we are tiny in comparison to God's awesomeness. And that is, ha- that is okay. And he's perfect. And that's how we've been designed. So that's number one. Number two, we need to read the Bible honestly. Because it's not a book of fairy tale endings. Um, it's not full of verses saying our lives will have happy endings and everything we desired will come to pass in exactly the way we hoped. There are many times God didn't answer people's prayers. Or he did answer them, but not in the way they wanted to. Um, Job is an obvious one. But John the Baptist, I mean, he ended up in prison. He was beheaded. I don't think that's what he was praying in prison. You know, you've got Joseph, you've got Moses, Mary, Sarah. You know, you can list all these people. They didn't have these perfect lives where everything had a glorious ending. So we need to be realistic. But, so the Bible is not full of promises that everything will work out in the way I want it to. But it is full of promises. It is full of promises from God to us. And we need to remind ourselves of these um, I'll just list a few quickly. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, it's like for a future and a hope. Or Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will t- take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. You know, all these lists of things, of promises that God says, um, they are in the Bible and they're for us. But God's ultimate promise and evidence that God is for us and not against us is the cross. And so to survive the disappointment we face, we must continually look to the cross. If we ever doubt that God doesn't understand what we're facing, we need to look at the cross. If we ever fear and doubt and we let that cloud our perspective, we need to look at the cross because it's the ultimate evidence of God's promise and his love towards us. So in the midst of suffering and disappointment, we can easily forget these promises and we allow fear to creep in. And what fear does is it casts doubt on God's promises so you might have read these verses so many times, but when you're in the midst of it, you're like, oh, I, don't think that, I don't think that's for me. And then it shakes our foundations. 
And then you just, then you think, I'm not sure I can trust God enough. So, but we need to be really careful. We need to be women who know the word. So we don't allow those doubts to creep in and affect how we view God and his promises. So fear. And the other thing is we get a bit forgetful. It doesn't take much for me to forget the hundreds of promises of God and the countless ways I've seen him demonstrate his faithfulness in my life. And so when disappointment hits, we kind of feel betrayed and deceived. And if we're really honest, we feel a bit lied to by God. He's like, oh, you haven't given me this. You know how much I want it and you haven't given it to me. And we forget. We forget how he's sustaining us and how he's protecting us. We forget that we have a treasure trove of God's faithfulness right behind us. And I know this because I've done it, and I do it all the time. Our perspective gets really narrowed, and all we can see is, I don't have this, or this has not worked out how I wanted. So that is when we must remind ourselves of God's promises. Um, One of my favorite stories in the Bible when I was growing up was Daniel and the fiery furnace. Um, Mainly because I was the only kid in class who could say the names. And probably if you pushed me, I could spell them, which I was minorly proud of. Um, But Or majorly, as I've just told you all. (laughs) <clears throat> so I was reading it again this week, and I was really struck by their response to Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm just going to read um, from Daniel 3, 16 to 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So they said, our God can do this, but even if he doesn't, I will still praise him. And we need to be women that that say that. We say, God can change this situation we're in. Um, I believe he does answer prayer, but even if he doesn't, I will still praise him. And that is... That's when it really hits, because that's really hard. When you're in the midst of real suffering or real deep disappointment, we need to be able to say, with real truthfulness, even if God doesn't do this, I will still praise him. I've said before earlier, my my deepest desire is to get married. And I know God can provide me with a husband, but even if he doesn't, I will still praise him. And I don't say this glibly, because it's a real battle. It's a battle to not allow disappointment to cast doubt on God's faithfulness as well. A friend asked me this week, if you're not married in 10 years' time, do you think that will affect your relationship with God? And I, I kind of had to stop and think, and I thought, no, actually, I'll be, I oh, know, maybe not a friend. <laughs> but I stop and think, actually, no, if I'm not married in 10 years' time, I'll be disappointed, but I want to think that I'm still running the race, I'm still um, living for God. And, and she said, well, in that case, why are you bothering worrying so much? And... I mean, we can go lots of ways with that, which I won't go deeper into, but it just made me think, actually, sometimes with things that we're so desperately crying out to God for, we allow them to consume us so much, that's all we think about. Actually, someone asked me earlier, what would I say to the 21-year-old me, if you're, you know, about being single? And I was like, don't waste your time um, hoping that it will happen. You, you pray for it to happen, absolutely, but you don't allow it to consume you because you're wasting all that time that God could use you. So... Don't let it consume you, but do pray. We'll come on to that a bit later. So, as I said earlier, one of the biggest things disappointment does is it, it robs us of joy. And I read this great quote by Billy Graham that says, Repeated disappointment always, almost always triggers a series of other reactions. Discouragement, anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment, even depression. Unless we learn to deal with disappointment, it will rob us of joy and poison our souls. I was like, oh, I don't want a poisoned soul. 
Our hope is in God and our joy and contentment is and should be found in him, not in our current circumstances. So if your hope is in, in marriage or kids or you want a leadership role in church or it's in your health, then when things don't pan out that way, we feel a loss and our foundations are shaken. Um, so we really need to um, seek joy. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, Galatians 4 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, you know the rest. So we can't make it happen because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So joy is not like an act of willpower where you kind of get up in the morning and go, I will be joyful today, I'll be happy, I will be joyful, and you're like through gritted teeth. Um, It's actually a spontaneous emotional response of the heart. Um, That's what John Piper says. Joy is not an act of willpower, but it's a response of the heart. So the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart to see the beauty of what God is doing in our lives. So I don't know, like me, if you're like me, I'm very practical. So I can say all these wonderful, holy, spiritual things to you, and I'll be thinking, get practical. So some practical things for you. How do we find joy in the midst of disappointment? What can we do? I think number one, be thankful. Life is hard and circumstances are tough, but what God calls us to do is be thankful. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So rather than complain, which is a obvious reaction, we should actually be thankful. And we need to cultivate a thankful heart as well, not a complaining heart, to praise God in the midst of suffering. Like I was saying earlier, even if it doesn't happen, I will praise you. And that's a thing you have to do. You have to repeat that because that's not natural to us. We don't need to be told how to complain. I don't think anyone needs to be told how to complain. That's a very natural response. But... Um, to counteract that, we need to practice being thankful. So when something bad happens, we, you know, we go, okay, Lord, urgh, I praise you because you're still the same. Situations and circumstances have changed, but you are still the same. Secondly, we, we must rejoice. Because as well as being thankful, we must rejoice in all circumstances. Now, if I thought being thankful was hard, it was hard. Rejoicing is even harder, actually, because you can say, Lord, I thank you that you're wonderful. But rejoicing, that's suddenly, that's bigger. And um, you want to say, God, don't you know what I'm facing? How can I rejoice in this? You must know. And he's saying, yes, I do know. So thanking God is a conscious act, but rejoicing is a response of the Holy Spirit. And so you can be sad and joyful at the same time. And I I used to think you couldn't be, in which case then there's very small periods of my life when I'm joyful (laughs) because you're still facing these big things. But no, you you can do both. And again, it's Holy Spirit helps us to rejoice. In Philippians 4, one of my favourite passages, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Then later on, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So actually, these are commands. They're not optional or suggestions. They're commands. Be thankful and rejoice. Loving commands. So how, how, <laughs> how do we rejoice? Um, I can testify that actually in times um, of real heartache, I have rejoiced. And the older you get, and if you're still single, lots of people are getting married. And they're the people that you babysat. And then that, uh, it's like, that's even harder. And they seem to just get younger and younger. But so what we must do is we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. So they're really happy. 
obviously it's a really joyful occasion so we you know we must rejoice in them and not kind of pull them down with our with our heartache but we so we go to God and we say God I I need you to help me to rejoice. This is not my natural response at this point. I want to go home and cry and go, why them? They are 19. (laughs) But uh, God has a different plan for their lives, so we must rejoice. There's a song we've been singing at New Community recently. It's called uh, Mountain by Brian and Katie Torwalt. It's a good album. I think it's called Champion. Um, The chorus is, high on the mountain, I'll be lifting my voice. So when things are great, I'll be lifting my voice. And in the valley... I'll be dancing for joy. And those two, that just, regardless of whatever season, so it says, in every season you are worthy, in every moment you are wonderful. And actually, once you've heard that song, it will stick in your head for quite a while, so it's a good one to listen to. But I want to be a woman that says, when things are really great, then I'm lifting my voice. But when things are really tough, I'm dancing for joy. I might be British dancing for joy, but (laughs) in my, my heart, there's real... There's real dancing. And I was mentioned earlier about singing, and I think that's an amazing response and a really helpful way of doing this. When you're battling through something, um, it's very practical to do. But Because when you sing, you fix your eyes on Jesus and not on yourself. And it immediately fills your heart with truth. And it also allows the Holy Spirit to really flood flood us with joy. So the first few lines are tough because it is a bit of gritted teeth. But actually, as you go... Because you're saying to God, yes, I'm disappointed, but you are more important than the disappointments in my life. So I will, I choose, I choose to sing. So the third one, and I think this is really important, is you, you must be in community. Um, everyone should be in community, but particularly it's so important when you're facing real disappointments. Because there's a lot of things, uh, places in the Bible that describe the Christian life as a race. We're all running together. And sometimes when we're facing difficulties... I don't know if you like me, I can kind of feel like I'm in a relay race and I've got the baton, but I'm actually finding it life difficult, so I'm just gonna, just gonna wait. I'm not running. And, and then you think, okay, so I'm single now, so I've got the baton, but actually when I'm married, then I'll start running again, and then I can pass the baton on, and then life can get going. And we're not in a relay race or like a single race, we're in a marathon, and we're actually all running alongside each other. And you need to support each other. Often in the marathon, you, you can see, even if you don't know the other person, someone will come alongside you. Not talking from experience. I could never run a marathon. I've seen. <laughs> someone will come alongside you and go, come on, you can do this. Let's run together. And so we need to be in community and we need to talk. You have to be real and be honest, but not to everyone. This is a bit of a big generalisation, but there are two camps of people. There are those that keep everything bottled up and don't talk about it at all. I'd be in that camp. And then there's those that overshare. You, you, you know those oversharers when you say, oh, how are you? And then you get this, like, 20 minutes of woe. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing at all. That, that, don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to be in a place where we're sharing each other's burdens. But who you do that with, you must choose really carefully. It's not, you don't, shouldn't share everything with everybody because you'll get crazy amounts of advice that will be competing. And it's just not helpful. You... We want people who will not allow us to wallow further and have a pity party, is my, my friend's favourite quote. But you'll be with a group of people who will show you love and care and will either say, okay, yes, I'll grieve with you, or they'll say, no, come on, let's keep going, let's keep running. You need to speak truth in love to each other because there's a time to grieve and there's a time to lift up your head and just keep going. And true friends will help you do both and at the right time as well. So find a trusted but small group of friends who you give permission to, to ask tough questions, who will stand through, stand with you with what you're going through. I mentioned earlier that Hannah and another Hannah and I, we meet, I don't know, once a month maybe to pray together. And 
I have given them permission to ask me those tough questions because I'm not... I've talked about singleness a lot today, but this is probably my two years' worth of talking about singleness. <laughs> it's not something I talk about very much, but you need to. And so I, I've said to the Hannahs, yes, you can ask me how I'm doing, and please do ask me, because I'm actually probably not going to volunteer that information. Um, I'm not saying that's the best way. I'm just not great at kind of being vulnerable, but we need to be. And so you need to know, if you're an oversharer, then you need some friends who are going to get around you and go, okay, just don't say that to everybody, because... You, you know, too much advice actually makes it harder. So you need to work out, you know, who you are and what kind of person and then get in a really good, trusted group of friends. And, and I found it personally really helpful meeting up with the Hannahs. Because um, the other thing is with disappointment is I found that the older I get, the group of people I talk to about my disappointments gets smaller, but the group of people who ask me about it gets bigger. Since the less people know about you, um, they, it means they only really remember one thing about you. So you become the single one so they'll say, okay, you're the single one. What do I know about you? I haven't got, you're not married. Okay, let me ask you if you've met any men. Don't. That's just not a helpful. There will be a siren that will go off. There will be <laughs> banners. There will be flags. You will know. Because everyone else will tell you. Because everyone will go, yes, we, our, our prayers are answered. <clears throat> or you'll be, someone will look at you and go, oh, you're the one who hasn't got a child yet. Okay, let me ask you if you've got any children. Or you're the one who's ill. You're always ill. Let me ask you if you're any better. It's just, it, that's just reality of it. And they have the best intentions, but they just cause the most pain. And each question is like this oh, reminder that you don't have what you so desperately seek. And you probably weren't even thinking about it at that time, but straight away they reminded you of it. And what you do next is really the most important thing. Because the temptation is to kind of add it to your bitterness pile. It's like, oh, another person highlighting what I don't have. Or you add it to your God hasn't answered my prayers pile. And then all the... I've got doubts about God's faithfulness pile. You know, I've got lots of piles. And all these things, then they pile on your heart, and you kind of build another brick around your walls, like, oh, I must protect myself from the next person that asks me this question. But that's not God wants. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to respond with soft hearts. So when that person says that, you just go, oh, thank you. Actually, the best thing you can do is not ask me those questions, but to pray. You know, you, you, well, we want to be gracious in our response. Um, and, but God wants us to go with to him in those moments, give him our burdens, um, yeah. So then the fourth one to help us is we need to believe in the word of God and we need to act on it. It's because Ephesians 6 describes the word of God as an offensive weapon in our spiritual armor. So knowing the Bible is essential when you're facing trials because it means you can, like Liz was saying earlier, you can speak truth to yourself. So when the enemy is kind of spouting these lies, you're not good enough, you're not married yet, all these reasons why you're not. Um, and you go, no, no, God is faithful. And you kind of speak the truth to you. God is for me. It's not against me. It's got grains plans for me. You know, you all these things. Bit of like a mantra. Um, we need to know God's promises. We need to memorize and memorize some verses, possibly. If you haven't got a great memory, I don't. Either write them down or commit them to memory so that maybe daily you can start the day with, okay, I know there's going to be things today, but God is for me, not against me. You get the idea. Um, and lastly, we are to cry out to God and we are to plead with him, definitely, because God is our father. And he says, you come to me and ask me, you're my children. Psalm 62 says, pour out your heart before him. God doesn't want restrained requests. Um, he wants passionate pleadings of like, oh, please, will you act? 
So it's okay to cry out and plead with God that he will move in your situation. So we don't have sort of carefully worded prayers, Lord, if it's okay with you today, you're not too busy, could you possibly remember that I am still single, I would like to have a man. Like, <clears throat> that's, you're like, no, you go to him like he's your dad, you're like, daddy, please, I want this, please. And then again and again and again, what child do you know that asks his dad for something and he says no and you're like... Right, and that's it, gone. All kids repeat, there's repetition, keep going, they keep going. And if God is our Father, then that's what He's calling us to do. We're pleading with Him, we're crying out to Him. But if He doesn't, going back before, we still praise Him. And that is the tension, and it is a hard tension. I, I find it's a bit like a scale, one minute I'm okay with one and not with another. So we need to remember that God is perfect, but He does call us to plead with Him, He does call us to pray, pray. And pray again. There's loads of examples in the Bible in Mark when the woman's begging Jesus to cast out the demon from her daughter or when the deaf man with a speech impediment is brought to Jesus and they say they're begging him. They're saying, come on, Jesus, we want you to respond. We want you to do something different. So I put my conclusion in the middle of the talk. Let's just get me go back. It's very helpful. Yeah. So just we're coming to an end. Um, I've... I've made some sweeping statements, but and, you, know, you might not be facing a massively large disappointment in your life, but there are some things, perhaps, that have happened in the past that just affect how, how we do, and, and disappointment can often stop us in our tracks. Um, I've so often said that singleness sometimes feels like it's the waiting room for marriage, and that whilst you're, you're waiting, so whether it's for a husband or whether it's for children, you're kind of in this sort of room, and you feel, until I get that, then I will move on. And you kind of make up all these things like, well, once I get a husband, then there's both of us. Think of all the mission we can do then. God will really use us. Or when we've got those kids, then life will be complete and blah, blah, blah. God knows the situation that you're in, but he has plans for you right now. And actually, if God's plan is perfect, then where you are right now is his design for you. And that is quite hard sometimes because it's not what you want. But you have to trust God that he knows best. So actually, if you are single right now, or if you are waiting to have a child right now, or if you know you don't have the job you want right now, we need to ask God, how, how can I serve you now? What are you asking me to do? What are the challenges that you're wanting me to step out in? And, and we need to seek God and, and, and do it. I mean, we need, to, we need to be obedient to God. And I didn't want to be single for this amount of time, but actually when I look at back at what I have done, the... <laughs> Some of the things I do working for the church, I couldn't do that if I was being woken up at six o'clock with children or I couldn't, you know, having to balance my holiday time with a husband who was doing other things like that. You know, there's things you could look at and actually God's used me in amazing ways. I never thought, well, one, I never thought I'd work for the church anyway, but, you know, I've, I've done things. I'm here. I'm not a public speaker. This is not what I thought was going to happen. And actually we need to be confident that God's plan is perfect. And it might not be our plan, but let's let's be women who are obedient to what God is calling us to do at whatever stage of life um, and see what happens. Because I think we'll really, well, I know, will really surprise us. So don't miss what God is calling you to do now because you are focused on what you don't have. Because God can use us even in times of real suffering. And in fact, he probably uses us the most in real times of real suffering because we're really caught looking to God. So I think... There's a, there's a lot, and I've probably spoken very quickly. I try. <laughs> there's a lot in there, but I think we have a response to make, and and that is to come before God and say, okay, I'm all in. Whatever I'm facing right now, that's not good. that probably won't change at the moment. But what can change is how I respond. 